Welcome to another thrilling episode on Book TV. But before we dive in, let's talk about enhancing your reading experience with novel nutrition. As you lose yourself in today's story, imagine supporting your journey with our unique supplements, specially crafted for readers like you. Whether it's boosting focus with Epic, unwinding with Read, or energizing with Zip Strips, Novel Nutrition is here to complement each chapter of your literary adventure. Visit novelnutrition.co or click the link in the show notes, and don't forget to use code BOOKTV for an exclusive 20% discount. Now, let's immerse ourselves in the magic of today's story. Chapter 20 Marley eyed the two Belascosians Nadeni had assigned to the mission. She'd conversed with both Rayson and Siru a few times, always when accompanied by Deshka and usually in the gym. They seemed serious men, as dedicated to the Tarazi's cause as anyone else, and quite proficient in their use of weapons. Not particularly talkative, though, so it was difficult to say how they felt about her. She finished strapping on her infragun and diamond knife. She'd still prefer a Concord-made daemon and plasma blade, but the weapons were effective at their jobs, sometimes scarily so. Satisfied, she found herself fondling the Kalis prism on her wrist. She'd felt adrift and helpless without it, which she recognized wasn't especially resilient of her. Caleb had lectured her any number of times about how she should never depend on any weapon or tool, only herself. And she'd done a damn good job of it since getting stuck here. But she'd fought a constant war against her inner doubts and simmering panic at being cut off and stranded. But now she could again use this outstanding piece of technology, not to escape, but to help her new friends. Preparations looked to be wrapping up, so she stepped toward the center of the armory and cleared her throat. Ahem. <clears throat> Before we depart, I want to walk through the initial phase of our infiltration. I've been thinking a lot about how the Kaldi track quantum perturbations and how we can use it to our advantage. I want to do a series of quick wormhole jumps in rapid succession. First, out on the plains. This mission is going to put us inside the Obera for some time. It's not a fast in and out, which means they'll have time to reach our initial departure point. But there won't be anything there, Rayson protested. We'll put some distance between us and our vehicle before we begin the infiltration. I know, but why not split their forces from the start for good measure? I propose we wormhole to two additional deserted locations before traveling to the Obera. And when we infiltrate the facility, I don't want to immediately drop you all off at the server room. If that's the first location to light up, they'll know what we're doing. So, all of us will first appear on the second floor, far from the servers. We'll then move across the building to the executive level, worryingly close to the director's office. Only then will I drop you off at the server room and set off the chase for real. Won't that take too long? It'll give them time to bring in a horde of security. Ten seconds at most once we're on site, and I fear security is coming no matter what. Galian stepped up beside her and gave his assent. Good idea. You're thinking tactically. The more confusion we can sow, the better. That's the idea. All right. Everyone meet at the pool in ten minutes. Rayson and Ciro acknowledged Galian's instructions and departed. Galian started to follow, but Marley laid a hand on his arm. I want to talk to you for a minute alone. You have concerns you didn't want to express in front of the others. I have so many concerns, but none that can be alleviated. Well, perhaps one that can be alleviated. She hesitated. Their relationship had improved markedly in the last few days but the nuances of Belliscosians' interactions remained a thorny morass, and none more so than where Galian was involved. 
She needed to choose her words carefully. The last time we were out in the world, away from Serba, I was your prisoner. I am acutely aware of this. I have expressed how I... No, I don't want to rehash everything. You had your reasons and I accept them. But this time we're going out there as equals, as teammates. I simply want to make certain you... Of course you understand it. I know you do. I guess what I mean is, I need to know you trust me. Trust me to do everything in my power to help the mission succeed. With this trust in place, I hope you won't... He smiled a little. Try to control your actions. Interface with your... Interfere with your decisions, even if I don't understand what you're doing. You need to know that I will let you run wild in a government facility with deadly weapons and mysterious and fearsome capabilities I comprehend nothing of, all while trusting that you are on our side, and trusting that I will come for you when you call for me. His censors danced around his lips. You refused to leave me in the Seguru install. Why would you leave me behind now? Warmth flooded her chest. Exactly. I won't, she frowned. Unless I get captured, or shot and grievously wounded. If this happens, I guess, try to shoot your way out and make your way back to the vehicle. You did it in Ossetan. You can do it again. What about you? I do not wish to leave you stranded and captured. But it will be considerably more difficult for us to mount a rescue operation without possession of that tiny miracle on your wrist. Don't worry about me. If I get captured, I'll come home for help with a screaming fury, and a legion of marines will descend upon my location to retrieve me, though this might trigger a war between Valeria and Concord, so let's do everything we can to avoid such an outcome, okay? Yes, let's do try. She squeezed his hand. His head jerked and surprised at the very human gesture, but he didn't pull away. On that note, does the armory have any grenades we can take along? Galian talked for most of the drive. He reviewed what he expected to find in the server room and how he planned to circumvent the security measures. He counseled Raisin and Ciro on how best to guard him, what to react to, and when to stand their ground. He seemed to have a good rapport with the men and they responded to his instructions without complaint. Marley got the sense this was not their first mission together. She listened to everything he was saying because she needed to know his plans if she was to make her own moves with maximum effectiveness, not that she expected anything to go as planned. When did it ever? But mostly she stared out the windshield. It was a clear, moonless night, and the sky was afire with 400 billion stars of the Medusa merger. Even planets situated close to the Milky Way galactic core didn't have skies like this. More stars, perhaps? But they lay in an orderly, if glutted, blanket from horizon to horizon. No, this was chaos made manifest. The strewn wreckage of a galactic collision that had rent two galaxies apart and smashed them together in an act of supreme cosmic power. To stand beneath its aftermath tens of millions of years later was to gaze upon the majestic and terrifying wonder of the universe. She made a note to look up and snap a visual when she exited the vehicle. Alex would love it, and she didn't want to forget the glorious spectacle. Finally, the vehicle slowed, and Galian brought it to a stop beneath a rocky outcropping hundreds of kilometers from where she and Deshka had traveled. She climbed out and peered up, breathless for a beat at the sight. After a few seconds, she realized Galian had come over and was staring at her. What? You make a terrible Beliscusian. Your skin tone is atrocious, and your eyes remain far too round. 
You would not be welcome into any proper gizautia. She winced, her shoulders dropping, and he passed a quick hand down her face. I am joking. Well, I'm not, but Reza did a remarkable job, all things considered. She forced a closed-mouthed smile. I have hurt your feelings. Accept my apologies, please. No, no, you're right. I do make a terrible Belliscosian, but hopefully the disguise will pass muster from a distance, which is all we need. It will, I'm sure. She'd considered going au naturel for the mission, as Galian had initially suggested, but decided it would be better if the government couldn't definitively link her and the Tarazi. Better that they not be able to calm up Dean Veshnail and report how she was consorting with terrorists. Let them instead wonder if the Tarazi had invented a wormhole device and other marvels. So, how is this part going to work? Galian looked relieved at the change of subject. You will ride on me, and Suru and Rason will run alongside. You don't want me to... She trailed off weakly. Ride one of them? Why would I? No reason. Again, she failed at articulating why the notion made her so uncomfortable. Riding on the back of any Belliscosian seemed like an affront, but Galian especially. Maybe because the power dynamics between them had fluctuated so wildly in the time they'd known one another. But this was something the Belliscosians simply did. She should not try to impose her own alien sensibilities upon an act that wasn't fraught with complications to them. Everyone double-checked the secureness of their packs, and Galian and the others dropped to all fours. She took a deep breath and threw a leg over Galian's back, then leaned down to press her chest against his spine. She wound her arms over his shoulders, careful to not squeeze his neck, and pressed her thighs into his hips. And now she realized why it made her so uncomfortable. It wasn't the power dynamics though those were certainly present in spades, it was the fact that, though it absolutely was not, this felt like a sexual act. Bodies pressed close together and in some intimate places. If he were to flip over, they would be well on their way to making love. Oblivious to her mental perturbations, Galian took off across the land alongside Rayson and Siru, and she hurriedly adjusted her positioning so she wasn't flung off. The notion itself did not repel her. The Belliscosians were a beautiful species, and Galian was far from the first alien she'd found attractive. When one grew up surrounded by a multitude of aliens, the lines of what constituted strange and off-putting got pushed pretty far out. Or maybe she was just wired that way. But it was neither here nor there. She was a grown woman who had learned, eventually, how to put aside every random hormonal flare, so she did her best to ignore the tingly feeling spreading wherever she touched his cool skin. And clothes, for she was mostly touching his clothes with her clothes. In other words, it was all in her head. They ran for much longer than Deshka had, but Deshka had been driven by urgency, when every second could be the second Galian died. This time, thoroughness and caution were more important than speed, at least until they reached the Albera. If Galian tired, he gave no indication of it, and his pace never let up. Once her initial discomfort eased, a little, she took the time to admire the cleverness of evolution. While many bipedal species evolved from four-legged ancestors, they typically left such movement behind when they began to walk upright. But to be able to function completely as a bipedal species, with full use of the dexterity of hands and finger digits, while also retaining the speed and agility of four-legged movement, was noteworthy. Much like with the gills and tails, something about Belliscosian genetics held on to useful traits even as evolution created new ones, 
The biologists back home were going to have a field day with them, respectfully, from a distance, of course. They came to a stop upon an arid step, free of distinguishing features. Marley swiftly climbed off Galien's back, and he straightened up with nary a wince. We will begin here. A supply check, please, as things could have become loose during the journey. Everyone complied. Marley adjusted the belt on her hips to redistribute the weight evenly. She carried the lightest load, as her job was not to get into a shootout with security, but rather to escape them, over and over again. Once the belt felt right, she undid the clasps and drew the gun and the knife in turn, then returned them to their places and confirmed the grenades hadn't fallen out of their pouch. If I may ask, how did an ambassador become so skilled with weapons? She flashed gaily in a breezy grin, by repeatedly insisting on going where I shouldn't, and promptly getting into trouble I had to fight my own way out of, when I was younger, I mean, before the ambassadorial job. Are you old now? I know nothing of the human aging process. No, not really. I guess I got an early start. She patted her belt. Already? Yes. He went over and spoke briefly to Raisin and Siru, then motioned for everyone to come close. We will move as one unit through the portals until we arrive at the server room. Do not wander off. Even a meter. Um, what is it like to traverse one of these portals? Tsuru asked. Marley adopted a reassuring tone. Just like stepping through a doorway from one room into another, there are no strange sensations, no queasiness or disorientation. Promise. Right. Fine, then. He was a brave soldier. They all were. Marley nodded at Galien. Whenever you're ready. There's a secret once hidden, a treasure the ancients used daily. It's turmeric, the golden spice of life. In the heart of ancient India, this revered root was more than a culinary delight. It was a symbol of purity, a source of wellness. Novel Nutrition brings this secret to you with our fire supplement. Each fire gummy is a nod to those ancient traditions, harnessing the natural powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant benefits that have supported health and vitality for centuries. Nab your supply of Novel Nutrition's Fire by clicking the link in the description and using code BOOKTV for a 20% discount. Read more. Live more. Be more. Chapter 21 Golden ripples of power churned inside the tiny orb, waiting on her command. She'd called upon the Kalis prism on an immediate, emergency basis before, but never multiple times in a row. The logic was sound, though. The well of power it drew upon was effectively infinite, and its circuits wouldn't tire from reuse. All she had to do was pay proper attention to its status throughout the mission, and the device would give her what she needed to pull this stunt off. Two jumps to other locations hundreds of kilometers from here, then we go to Albera, where we leap around a few times before I drop you off at the server room. I leave you to do your work, and I go play hide-and-seek with security. They simply stared at her expectantly, so with a deep breath, she opened a wormhole. On the other side waited dense undergrowth and sprawling trees. Go! She ended up leading the way, though, as everyone had first-time jitters. The instant all were on the other side, she closed the wormhole and counted down the seconds while the power sprung back up. An insect bit her, and she swatted the side of her neck. Galien frowned in concern, and she winced. Poisonous? Not to us. 
Okay. She opened a new wormhole, and this time their strides weren't so hesitant as they stepped through to a frost-laced expanse of tundra, closed the wormhole, restart the power. Her gaze found Galeon's once more. Good luck. Calm when you're ready to get the fuck out of there. I assuredly will. The next wormhole opened to a clean, sterile environment with cool, dry air. Rayson and Siru drew their weapons, and everyone stepped through. Again, faster this time as she tuned to the rhythm of the Kalis Prism's power flow. Blank walls of beige adobe flashed as they moved again. Then once more, the server room. All the secrets of the Desbida, from their creation to their repression to their attempted transformation, hopefully sat stored on the databanks in this room. Galeon moved to the terminal, situated in front of racks stacked with computer equipment. A shrill alarm rang through the air. Security cams in the room, one presumed. Time to go. She created a wormhole that opened just down the hallway from the main security office and hurried through it. Her chaos plan wasn't going to work unless they noticed her, after all. Hey, stop right there. Well, that didn't take long. The wormhole vanished as she sprinted down a side hall, gripping her gun and tossing haphazard fire over her shoulder to make extra certain they fixated on her. Return weapons fire whizzed past her arm, way too close for comfort. She skidded around a corner and opened a new wormhole, rushing through it and closing it before any security officers reached the hallway. They'd have no idea where she'd gone. Where she'd gone was back to the executive level, where a series of luxurious offices lined a wide hallway floor of soft oyster marble and decorated with the elaborate murals Beliscosians seemed to love. She pulled up in front of a door and tried to open it, but wasn't overly surprised to find it quite locked. With a functioning Aldra and a host of Beliscosian-friendly programs she'd written, she could probably hack it, but that wasn't her mission. Instead, she started banging on the door, then shouting ineffectually at the lock. More alarms rang out. They were pitched on the high precipice of human hearing, and gods, they were going to give her the mother of all headaches. Three security officers appeared at the end of the hallway. Damn, they had an impressive response time. Wormhole, quickly now, through it and closed. She was on the lab level now. She didn't think any live person experiments were being conducted in this area. Computer simulations, data analysis, and hypotheses formulated for testing, most likely. A long window afforded a full view into a room lined with small transparent enclosures. Robotic arms hovered over dark rubber seals used for entry. It reminded her of the type of lab her mother had worked in before going all in on teaching. A biochemical lab. Those enclosures safeguarded biochemical material. Organic compounds. She shielded her face and fired point-blank into the window. Glass shattered in chunky fragments. The shrieking this new alarm emitted sent her fleeing through another wormhole, one that exited behind two security officers sprinting down a hallway. Hey, you looking for me, aren't you? They spun around as her new wormhole formed and she pivoted and dashed. Pain lanced through her shoulder, and she landed in a mockery of a braced roll. Close. The room she'd traveled to was quiet for the moment, so she wrenched her head around to inspect her shoulder. A glancing blow from one of the Atsapar bullets had partially penetrated her defense shield to shred the skin near her rotator cuff. It didn't look deep, though it did look ugly. On your feet! Her cybernetics were already delivering a dose of painkillers and closing off the blood flow to the area, so she took the voice's suggestion. This was no time to sit around whimpering in pain. Before departing, she checked to confirm her current location held no strategic value. She should take a second pass at the executive level, creating the impression she was after one of the bosses. Better yet, 
tap a toe inside one of the offices, suggesting she could in fact break the encryption on the door locks. Her next wormhole led to a shockingly ostentatious spread more penthouse apartment than office. Bronze and silver statues adorned every wall that wasn't painted in elaborate murals. Plush couches were framed by verdant ferns, and by the window sat a natural wood desk some three meters long. Righteous indignation boiled at the thought of these people getting wealthy off the horrors they inflicted on the Desbida. Her anger bonded with the painkillers to wash away any lingering aches from her injury, and she attacked the map with renewed vigor. The server plates were stacked high in three racks. Clusters of yellow operational lights blinked out of the shadows like an approaching pack of cypones. But Galeon was not their prey tonight. Cognizant of Siru and Rayson standing guard in the entryway, he wasted no time in slotting the spike into the input port, followed by an empty data storage plate. He wasn't much of a security hacker, but he didn't need to be. The spike acted faster and with greater deviousness than any Belliscosian could, impersonating a new data load until it crossed the threshold into the file directory, then letting loose an army of coded serpents to crawl through the databanks and siphon off their contents onto the plate. A soft beep let him know the first plate was full, and he swiftly exchanged it for a second one. In order to capture all the information stored here, he'd need as many plates as there were storage devices in the server room, which wasn't practical. So the Spikes programming also contained a search algorithm that prioritized the terms Desbeta, Camp, Genetic, Treatment, and a list of other relevant terms in proximity to one another. It pulled the oldest data first, because the greatest lies had been perpetrated in the earliest days, when the true nature of the genetic mutations had first made themselves known. One exception was Soldad, for any information gleaned about the Inferno program would only strengthen their hand. Another plate switched out. Due to the spatial limitations of a pack he was able to wear, he only had six, and now he began to worry over the algorithm's choices. He was like a blind man fumbling about for the glass of water he'd been told was on the table. What if it filled up the space with obscure statistical tables, blood test results, and other errata? and, as a result, left something crucial behind, something that alone revealed the truth about the Aterpi Project's sins, but there was nothing to be done for it now. The pop-pop of gunfire echoed behind him, and he tamped down the primal urge to spin and leap into the hall, firing upon the men who would deny him his prize. Tiru and Rayson could handle it, until they couldn't any longer. When that moment came, Marley would evacuate them. Marley. When he'd kidnapped the alien in a fit of shame-induced panic, he'd never imagined she would hold the key to finally achieving their goals. The fact that taking her captive had turned out to be one of the wisest decisions he'd ever made did little to temper the guilt he felt for having done so, however, as his motivations had been anything but noble. Yet she forgave him, dared to call him friend, and now risked her life to aid them, to aid Resumane, if not him personally, and this was more than enough. Madari, Siru growled amid a staccato of crossing fire. We've got incoming from both sides. It was too soon. He wasn't done. Galeon. Too many security units are bearing down on our location. Marley, can you take some of the heat off? Marley. With pleasure. 
She altered her destination to right outside the server room and arrived to find five officers exchanging fire with Rayson and Siru. She shot the closest one square in the chest. A force field rippled into existence to absorb the brunt of the blow, but the impact knocked him into his comrade, and now five weapons were trained on her. She sprinted back through the still-open wormhole amid a rain of gunfire, immediately spinning to the left and running down a hallway while leaving the wormhole open. After all, the whole point was to get the officers away from the server room. The always surprisingly lightweight gate of multiple Belliscosians rushing after her was muffled by the spongy floor, but not so much that she didn't know they were coming. She closed the wormhole and began spinning up power once more. Three followed her route to the left. She made sure they saw her as she barreled through a new wormhole leading to the atrium of an uninteresting administrative wing. Again, she left it open so they'd continue the chase. This time, she slipped around behind the wormhole, where they couldn't see her thanks to the mind-bending characteristics of a portal between two points on the space-time manifold. Once they were through, she closed it and tossed a grenade into their midst. Shrapnel exploded out, sending blood splattering across two walls. Not waiting to see if any of them recovered, she opened a new wormhole behind her and hopped through. But she'd gotten too clever by half and lost track of the other two officers. White-hot fire ripped into her hip, and she fell, face first, through the opening. Close. She curled in on herself on the floor, instinctively trying to protect her injury. After another second, an EVI routine forced a modicum of clear-headedness on her, and she gingerly felt along her hip. Her fingers came back doused in blood but at least there wasn't gushing. This wound was on the opposite side from the one she'd suffered while trying to escape from Galeon, so she'd torn up all new muscles and possibly organs. She grunted out a command. Mission's not done. Get your ass up, Marley Rosa Araguchi Morano. As she climbed to her feet, she discovered she was in a dark, shadowy room, empty as far as she was able to make out in the non-existent lighting. She swayed unevenly and reached out for the closest wall to brace herself. Her mad sprinting days were behind her on this mission. What could she still do to attract attention while not getting further shot? Toss some more grenades, because that had been rather effective. She opened a succession of wormholes until she located security reinforcements heading toward the server room, lobbed a grenade through, and closed it without waiting on the results. How many security officers did they have in this building? Galeon. We're ready to go. And do, please hurry. Her vision swam, but this was the end and not a moment too soon, so she authorized a wholesale dump of pain suppression mechanisms by her cybernetics, followed by a wallop of a dose of adrenaline to keep her on her feet. Then she opened a wormhole back to where they'd begun, inside the server room. Galeon, Rayson, and Siru were exchanging gunfire through the open door. An explosion rocked the hallway just outside, and the blast knocked them all to the floor. Oh boy, did that hurt. She clenched her jaw and struggled to her feet while switching out the wormhole for one leading to the steps. Get up! Let's go now! Galeon should have been the first through, as he presumably now held the key to salvation in his hands, but instead he helped race into his feet, then urged him through the opening. Zero moved through next, and Galeon turned around and extended an arm out to her. She grabbed for his outstretched hand and stumbled through. Ominous clouds of smoke billowed into the server room as she left it behind. Close. A few wisps of smoke wafted into the crisp night air where the wormhole had been. Galeon drew up short as he looked around and spotted the vehicle nestled under the rocky outcropping. You brought us directly back to the vehicle? Yeah, she nodded unevenly, because this is, I'm afraid, our last stop. Her legs buckled, and darkness claimed her. Chapter 22 
Galien paced ineffectually while Matin sat at the workstation processing the data, identifying it, tagging it, and sorting it before letting loose crawlers to distill it into meaningful information. Nadeni, on the other hand, was the picture of calm patience. He sat in a chair near the door, studying a portable screen resting on his lap while his tail swiped lazily across the floor. Galien supposed the ability to impose a veneer of patience upon oneself in the most difficult of situations was one of the requirements of Nadeni's position. He'd witnessed the man do it innumerable times over the years, another reason why Nadeni was the leader and he was not. His thoughts continued to ricochet off the jagged crevices of his mind. They bounced to medical where Marley remained unconscious. Dr. Rosane had staunched the bleeding and sutured the wounds, then pronounced the rest would be up to the alien's cybernetics. Ressa was holding vigil at her bedside and had promised to alert him the instant Marley woke up. So there was nothing he could do on this front either. Days like today made him question what skills he brought to the Tarazi. He was good in a fight, but Rayson, Siru, Freeman, and half a dozen others were better. His analytical abilities were also above average, but he was no genius. He'd already covered his failings at breaking electronic security. Matan's tools had retrieved the data, not any skill of his. He wasn't a poet or deliverer of inspiring speeches, nor a great organizer of men. Once upon a time, he'd been a builder, molding material into a form that performed its highest purpose while pleasing its users and brought him satisfaction, on occasion, even joy. In the earlier days of the Tarazi, he'd spearheaded the transformation of the Serba from gutted-out industrial rig to a livable base for thousands of people, but that was years gone. Now what he did was protect his sister, every day in his every action. Today, perhaps, he'd played a small role in protecting her forever. What's taking so long? The question slipped out unbidden. It's a gargantuan amount of data, Matam murmured distractedly. Can you tell if it contains anything useful? Did we get what we were looking for? Probably. Much of it, anyway. What does that mean? The sooner you stop bothering me, the sooner I can tell you. The annoyance rippling off Matan's imanol was mild, however, easing the sting of his words. Galian checked on Adeni and found him unaltered, still reading, tail still conveying an air of absolute tranquility. Nadeni had once said the most crucial skill Galian brought to the Tarazi was passion, a selfless insistence on safeguarding the Desbida under their care and a righteous zeal for exposing the crimes of the Aterpi project and the men and women who had spearheaded it. It was true enough, but passion was nothing without execution, and he'd been whiffing on this one of late. The devastating failure of his mission to recruit Vasem, getting captured on the Desbita rescue mission, but maybe today would change things. Now! Matin spun his chair around, arms spreading wide. Do you want the good news or the bad news? The fact that there was bad news to be had pierced his Ari. He needed a win. So he replied before Nadeni. The good news, please. I'm still collating everything, but we now possess a treasure trove of information on the early treatment attempts and how they went wrong, how the research shifted once the camps were instituted compilations of the verse side effects and how little was done to ameliorate them. We also grabbed a fair bit on the Soldad program, mostly scientific in nature. What traits they're trying to bring out, the markers for good candidates, and so on. That all sounds terrific. What's the bad news? I'll keep looking, but I can't find a smoking gun. Nowhere does it say, in writing, that the speeder aren't crazy or a danger to others. 
but since they do pose a danger to us, the powerful, we need to lock them up anyway. There's a lot in these files worthy of criticism, information that deserves a public accounting, but what's lacking is malice aforethought. You can make a case that is implied in what's missing, but Matin glanced at Nadeni. I'm told we need a clear, unequivocal argument that resonates with the public, not a labyrinthine legal debate. Correct. Nadeni stood, set aside his screen on the chair, and approached the workstation. We always knew this was a risk. So let's find the name. Sir? The name of the dissident. The person who objected to the direction things were taking and, as a result, disappeared from the project. Hmm. Matin stroked his neck. I can run a time-lapse analysis of the appearance of names in the files. Are we looking for one of the researchers or an administrator? It could be either. It could even be a nurse or other Desbida caregiver, though it's less likely someone in such a position would possess the necessary incriminating data. All right. Any and all names of people employed by the project, starting from its inception. It's a lot of names. Nadeni returned to his chair and resumed studying his screen, and Galian suppressed some uncharitable emotions before they manifested too clearly in his emanol. Nadeni couldn't afford to be overly emotional, and he should try to emulate the man. His thoughts went to the day the government arrived to take Resumane away from their home in Maestal. She was Desbida, they said, and thus represented a danger to herself and her Odala. In a therapeutics camp, she would be cared for, and maybe one day there would be a cure. His parents and Atona had been sad, but also relieved. No question, Ressa had struggled as her mutation manifested, brought on by the onset of puberty. Wild mood swings, acting out in rebellion, days spent in utter withdrawal, refusing food and companionship. In retrospect, this had simply been the process by which her body and mind adjusted to its new capabilities. The most extreme behaviors were already fading away when the officers arrived, but the family had been worn down by the difficulties, and they handed her over without much of a fight. He'd been fifteen years old, little more than a child, and so he'd stood meekly by and allowed them to put her in restraints, because she had put up a fight, and marched her out of the Nicane pod forever. He should have fought, should have rescued her that very day. They could have run away, not but the clothes on their back between them, and found a way to make a life. If he'd acted then, his sister would still be able to see the beauty of the world around her. He could never go back in time and undo this fateful mistake, but he'd taken what recompense he could, eventually. And here we go. We've got three more names who were active in the first few years of the project, then vanished from the files in an unnaturally abrupt manner. Galian noted that Nadeni removed himself from his chair with a touch more energy this time. They crowded around the big screen in front of Matin. Daniel Esquin, Deputy Director of Research and Development, until he resigned in 4838, was killed three weeks later in a hunting accident. Murder to keep him silent, Galian replied. Nadeni's head tilted in agreement. Likely so. Tere Usoa head nurse on the treatment recuperation floor, resigned for medical reasons and died six months later of acute geysat. This one was a tougher call. Medical records could be faked, but geysat had been a scourge at the time. Lastly, Dr. Taro Melar, 
Director of Emergent Therapies, until he applied for and received a transfer. Is he still alive? Gillian asked. According to the public records, he is running a research facility on Venua Atoll. Nadeni took two steps back, hair strands stiffening. Madari. Gillian considered him in surprise. Why, this is terrific news, exactly what we were hoping for. It is. Nadeni coaxed his hair strands back into relaxation. Then what's the problem? I know, Mala, or once knew him. Yet more good news. We have a route through which to reach him. The problem is, he is not going to be happy to see me. Galian poked his head into the medical exam room to find Marley sitting up in bed, laughing softly as Ressa stroked her arm. His heart flooded with warmth and relief. Many things about their guest continued to confound him, but he did not doubt that she'd come to care deeply about Ressa. His sister often had such an effect on people, though he'd never imagined it might extend to aliens as well. But why shouldn't it? Possibly some things were universal across all sapient species. The desire for connection, for companionship, the desire to understand another being, and for them to understand you in turn. Galian, come in, Marley motioned him forward. He stepped up to the other side of the bed. How are you? I'm fine, or I will be in a few more hours. It's not the first or the second time I've been injured in a melee. And how many times have you been shot twice in one day? Oh, good point. Her hand rose to rub at the bandage taped over her shoulder. This one hardly counts, though. I will let you be the judge of how well your body can weather its wounds. Perhaps responding to the waves of compassion and tenderness emanating from Ressa, he took Marley's hand in his, placed his other atop it, and curled in toward her. Thank you for risking your life yet again on our behalf. We'd never have achieved success in our mission without you, but I pray to the Arima that you need not do so again. You have given enough. Her gaze flickered between their hands and his face, though she did not pull away. Her full lips parted, then closed again, and he wished he could sense the tumult of her emotions, for they would provide a guidepost upon which to anchor his own. After a moment, her lips parted again. Well, that depends. Did we get what we needed? Her use of we did not escape his attention. He didn't dare hope that she had fully internalized their cause as her own, but he conceded she seemed to do everything wholeheartedly, holding nothing back. He squeezed her hand. It felt an unnatural and awkward act, but she'd done so to him once before, which suggested it was a human act signifying camaraderie. Then he removed his grip and stood up straighter. We retrieved a lot of information, arguably more than we had any right to hope for. As we'd worried, the data doesn't contain outright evidence of high crimes, quite a few lesser ones, but nothing strong enough to bring down the entire conspiracy. But we do have a name, one that might hold the key to breaking everything wide open. Marley smiled, flashing her two white and strangely flat teeth. What great news! Who are they? How are you going to reach out to them? Galian sighed. Ah, <sighs> that part is a touch problematic. Quick pause in our story to remind you about novel nutrition. Enhance your reading sessions with our bespoke supplements. See if you can figure out which blend is our favorite. Oh, and just for Book TV listeners... 
Use code BOOKTV at NovelNutrition.co for a special 20% discount. Now let's return to our story. Chapter 23 Resumane entertained Marley until the doctor cleared her to be discharged. She loved the woman's company, but she also desperately needed some privacy. But then Resumane insisted on getting a proper lunch, during which Marley obliged her by recounting the most exciting details of the mission to the Aubera facility. Finally, Resumane had to depart for an appointment, and Marley made a beeline for the temporary privacy of the apartment. Once there, she settled onto her bed and at last opened the message from Miriam. It had been sitting out there in the void, waiting for the next time she was able to access the quantum network of her messaging system. Six days. Damn. But she'd grabbed it while dashing around Albera, as well as sending out some additional messages. Marley, words cannot express the relief we all feel to learn you are alive and in good health. Ha! Huh. But at least she was all patched up now for the second time. David has been urging me to declare war on the Beliscosians in order to rescue you. So deep has his concern been. I have not done so, of course, but the situation is rather tense. I would be lying if I said the possibility of armed action was not actively on the table. The information you've shared only complicates matters further, but I vastly prefer the truth to diplomatic lies. On that front... Dean Veshnail is quite displeased to learn the Beliscosian government has been spewing falsehoods in our direction. Marley giggled at the image of serene, stately, always gracious Veshnail being spitting mad. She wished she could have seen it. Rest assured, we will be using your information to take a different tact in our future conversations with the Beliscosians. Our highest priority, however, is seeing you return safely home. I understand your desire to protect those who have sheltered you, and I will take you at your word that you're unable to wormhole home at this time without exposing them to discovery. Knowing the Beliscosian government is not hiding you, instead you are hiding from them, introduces some new opportunities to our diplomatic negotiations, and we will endeavor to make it safe for you to reveal yourself and come home as quickly as possible. If you find yourself with the freedom to travel, don't wait to deliver a reply before acting. I look forward to you appearing unannounced in my office, safe and sound. David will get some gelato, and you can regale us with your harrowing tale. All our love, Miriam Solovey. Marley sighed blissfully. It was so goddamn good to hear from family, even if only in the bare words of a written message. As much as she'd come to care for the people here at the Serba, it was torture to be utterly cut off from her world and everyone in it. But they were still real, and they missed her. With the significant lag time in the correspondence, Miriam had no idea exactly how involved Marley now was in the Tarazi's crusade, and though her heart ached with the desire to do so, she couldn't go home yet. She'd promised Resumane and Galian she would see this through, but even if she hadn't promised, she had to see it through. It was her cause now. Marley found Galian waiting outside the tech lab. Has Nadeni left? He took off a few minutes ago. He sighed and leaned against the wall. <sighs> I'm worried. This is a high-stakes play he's making, and if it goes wrong, but the time has come to make our move. Life is nothing without risk. As you have reminded us, he offered her a pensive expression and fell into silence. 
Um, your message said you wanted to talk to me? Yes. No. I mean, Matin wants to talk to us both. Oh? She hadn't met Matin, though she'd heard plenty about him. Is this about the data we snatched from Obera? I don't think so, no. He gestured to the door with his tail. Shall we find out? Absolutely. She followed Galian into the lab. It resembled every mad scientist's workspace the universe over. Servers stacked precariously in every corner, terminals attached to screens displaying reams of code scattered here and there, multiple work tables strewn with tools. At the center of the lab, a man sent his chair flying over to one of the terminals. The long legs adroitly maneuvering the chair suggested he was tall for a Belliscosian, with dullish, sage, laminous skin, but dancing gray eyes that landed on her as he spun around. The human. The whispers about you have reached even my den of seclusion, most notably your magical theatrics at Obera. She performed the Belliscosian equivalent of extending her hand. Hi. I'm Marley. Yes, you are. My name is Matin or Lance. He checked with Galian. She's cleared for all this? You didn't tell me what you wanted to discuss. Oh, right. The Carbonat. Truly? You've been working on the Carbonat for two years now. You said it was just a pet project of yours that was unlikely to go anywhere. And it was, until it wasn't. Tales of all the quantum manipulation our alien friend here can perform encouraged me to refocus on it. Yesterday, while I was letting the system organize all the Obera data, I had a eureka moment of sorts. Galian's posture shifted forward in apparent excitement. You made it work? A little, I think. I still need to conduct some tests. If you have, this could change everything for us. Yes, yes. Matin waved a hand in the air. Some things. Marley blew out a breath. <sighs> Can someone tell me what a carbonade is? Sorry. Galian smiled a touch sheepishly. She thought, because she'd never seen that mannerism from him. It's a sort of quantum diffuser. It creates a field around something or someone and resonates their quantum disruptions with the natural fluctuations of the area, thereby dissipating any spikes they create. He glanced at Matin. Did I explain it correctly? Poorly, but correctly, I suppose. Good. Such a device would, in theory, allow the Desbeta to go out into the world without being detected and allow us to resume normal quantum communications with one another and third parties. It would, a corner of Galian's mouth twitched, allow you to talk to your people whenever you like. Matin straightened out of his slouch. Slow down. I never said it would work for her. It's designed for Belliscosians. Marley frowned. Why should that matter? Quantum mechanics doesn't care about species. Perhaps not. A moment. Matin held up a finger and kicked the chair over to another terminal. A series of hums and hisses emerged from the man's throat as he studied a schematic on the terminal screen. After ten seconds or so, his tail went rigid along the length of his leg, and he got quiet. A minute passed, then two. Marley started fidgeting. Patience had never been her highest quality, and Matin's quirky genius routine was a bit much. How fantastic would it have been if the man had managed to complete this Cabinot device a few weeks earlier? It would have saved her so much trouble. But then she might never have gotten the chance to get to know Resumane or Deshka or Galian. He was watching her fidgeting in seeming amusement, and she rolled her eyes at him in response. He'd gotten much better at reading her mannerisms lately. Or maybe Resumane had taught them to him. 
and that earned her a genuine smile. Were they friends now? Not colleagues of necessity, given their circumstances, but actual friends? If so, she thought she'd like that very much. Abruptly, Matin spun around again, interrupting their silent banter. It will work for her, if it will work for anyone, obviously. Galen clapped his palms together. Can we help you test it? Yes, but not yet. It's not ready. Then why did you ask us here? So someone would know it was almost ready. Galen's sensors snapped out horizontally, annoyance definitely. How long until we can test it? Six hours? Possibly eight. Unless someone brings me some food along the way. Alas, Kalona, Matin resumed typing. Galian extended a hand to her and they left the lab. He was interesting. We have other words for men such as him, but if he succeeds in making the Carbonaut work, it will be a transformative event for us. Ironic, though, don't you think? If Nadeni's meeting goes well, you might not need to hide quantum spikes for much longer. True. Irony is well appreciated by the Arbosoic, I suspect. He was apt to invoke his gods from time to time, though she hadn't decided if it was simply a cultural reflex or a sincere belief that they both existed and exerted power over the world. And since religion was a third rail even among close friends, she elected not to ask. He was still holding her hand, somewhat to her surprise, and now he tugged her off to the left. Come, Resumain and Deshka are expecting us for dinner. I believe you'll find Deshka is an excellent cook. Chapter 24 The aircraft accelerated to supersonic speeds as it neared the apex of its parabolic flight path, and for a moment, Nadeni could almost see the stars. Hints of light danced through the thin, wispy atmosphere, and if you narrowed your eyes enough, they started to resolve. Then the craft flipped its nose and began descending, and they were gone. Nadeni forced his mind to the mission at hand. If he was successful, he'd likely be seeing the stars soon enough. But that was an enormous if. Dr. Tsaro Malar was one of the most preeminent genetics researchers in the world, but this hadn't stopped Nadeni from firing him 14 years ago. Of course, the event hadn't been so stark and ugly in the formalities. Rather, as head of the Promlo Foundation, Nadeni had simply elected not to renew its funding of Dr. Malar's research project on using postnatal gene therapy to eradicate several debilitating childhood deformities. Not because the research didn't hold the promise of delivering a tremendous good for the lives of children afflicted with the deformities, but because he had discovered that Millar was flagrantly disregarding crucial safety protocols during the therapy trials, resulting in the deaths of three participants. If the black mark on Millar's resume had harmed the man's career in any way, it had been of passing ephemeral impact, but this would not have stopped Millar from nursing a grudge, as the man's pride knew no bounds. The thing Nadeni couldn't figure was, given Millar's demonstrated lack of respect for safety and his patient's well-being, why he had walked away from the Aterpi project. Had an attack of conscience finally manifested in the man's soul, or was there another reason? The fact that he remained alive many years later suggested the latter, in which case this was a futile endeavor. But he had to try. The autopilot eased its angle of descent and speed as Venua Atoll came into view. 
Stretching for six kilometers of opalescent beaches and verdant flora, it was the largest island in a chain of pearls some hundred kilometers in length. Resorts dotted the beaches in sweeps of marble and stone, but the center of the island was dominated by a vast complex of more utilitarian buildings, though they were accented by a smattering of pools and leisure parks. The New Horizons Institute was the crown jewel of Vanua and one of the most prestigious centers of scientific inquiry on Estapa. Graduating students competed fiercely to win externships in its labs, to sit at the feet of the masters of science and absorb their knowledge like sponges. Patients paid tens of thousands of credits to earn a place on waiting lists for research studies. Given the prodigious money flowing into the New Horizons Institute, he wondered if anyone had ever bothered to review the safety protocols in use here. Something told him it had been a while. Local flight control interfaced with the ship's computer to direct it to a clear runway, and after a few seconds of jittering bumps, he was on the ground almost halfway around the globe from where he'd begun. Fifteen minutes later, his turn arrived at customs and he stepped up to the security station. He placed his palm on the reader while giving the officer an ingratiating smile. Estebi Giro, reason for visiting Venua at all? I'm a real estate investor. I'm here to meet with several developers about a potential new resort property. The officer gave a bored nod. Have a nice visit. There had never been much risk of his false identity being discovered by a simple customs check, but Nadeni nevertheless untensed several muscles as he strode toward the airport exit. The Giro cover had served him well for many years now. The man practically existed. So extensive were his background and confirmatory legal records. As founder, leader, and financier of the Tarazi, he needed to be able to operate out in the real world. Materials and products needed to be commissioned or purchased. Potential converts needed to be approached by an actual person to either assuage or stoke their fears, depending. In short, while the Serba was his home, matters needed to be attended to across Bellaria, and so he'd spent a small fortune establishing an airtight identity. The humid air washed over him as he stepped outside and his skin soaked in the heat to warm his body. Venua had much to commend it, and in another life, the life he'd once had, he'd spent a good bit of time here enjoying its offerings. Time with Kamina and Arnas, and as many of their joined Odala as they were able to fit in the largest rental home. But that path was closed to him now, so he ignored the siren call of patio seafood restaurants and musical amphitheaters and caught a tram car for the New Horizons Institute. Sweeping white arches framed the entrance in a cascade that narrowed into an awning for wide glass doors etched with floral motifs. The doors slid open as Nadeni approached, revealing a pristine lobby with oral marble floors, ubiquitous diffuse light, and trellises of ivy. An elegant woman with open features and a convivial public, Imanol, greeted him at the counter. Welcome to the New Horizons Institute, sir. How can we be of service to you today? Estebi Gero, I have an appointment to see Dr. Mela. Her eyes flicked to the screen residing below the counter. I see you do. I'll let the doctor know you've arrived. Thank you. He went over and sat in one of the cushioned wing-back chairs arranged with studied randomness in the lobby. To Dr. Melar, Estebi Gero was not a real estate investor, but a representative of an investment fund that managed the superfluous money of an interlinked Batu Odala of several wealthy families. By the look of it, the Institute was not hurting for financing, but one should never underestimate the greed of men such as Melar. Mr. Gero, 
Dr. Millar is ready to see you now. You can take the lift on the right to the top floor. Thank you. He followed the directions, and the lift deposited him on a floor awash with marble and glass. A second receptionist confirmed his identity, then escorted him to a conference room with a wall of windows looking out over the island. Teal waters glittered in the midday sun, and the beaches were dotted with frolickers like seeds upon a loaf of bread. Mr. Jero, is it? Welcome to the New Horizons Institute. Nadeni turned from the window, his hands arranged in a casual, friendly fold at his waist. Hello, Zaro. The man blinked twice, his spine stiffening. Nadeni Prommel, you're dead. To the world, yes. No, I mean, you are literally dead. There was an obituary and a funeral. It was all over the media at the time. You committed suicide after... There's no need to recount the nightmares of my past to me. I am familiar enough with them. Zaro shook his head, as if clearing a fog. But is any of it true? You stand here today, hearty and hale. Am I to surmise that your lovely wife still lives as well, your son? I suppose I know the truth of that. But little else, it seems. Pain and anger bristled against Nadeni's restraint, and he was swiftly reminded of how he detested this man. But in war? One did not always get to choose one's allies. Arnas and Kamina are well and truly dead. In the wake of the crimes against my family, I found I needed to remove myself from the world and begin a new life with a new purpose dedicated to their memory. I take it said purpose is not investing the excess coins of the Promol Foundation? It is not. It is so much more important. Oh, I do so love a good crusade. Pray, tell me of it. Nadeni did not. You were the director of emergent therapies for the Aterpi project for four years. In 4837, you abruptly resigned from your position and shortly thereafter opened this institute. Why? Tsaro gestured around the conference room, the sweep of his arm drawing in the rest of the building and the grounds beyond. The government was generous with its seed money for the Institute's founding. At last I had a place where I was able to set the course of my own research, free of the stifling requirements of government projects and their narrow restrictions. How could I refuse such an opportunity? Nadeni hesitated. It sounded so close to the truth that he wondered if it might be, in which case this trip had been a waste of time and him revealing his identity a mistake that would prove costly but his gut screamed otherwise. That or desperation. A smile hinted across his features. They bought you off then, endowed you with millions in your own personal fiefdom to buy your silence. A better option than what Dr. Eskewin suffered, no doubt. I know not what you refer. They murdered him, but you do know this. See, I remember what things were like back then. The Desbida problem was the only thing that existed in our world. Every resource was being thrown at it. The scientist who solved the problem would have been heralded as a new savior. His name uttered in prayerful thanks at dinner tables for years to come. You would not have willingly given up the glory, not even for this monument of scientific hubris you've constructed here. Not unless you witnessed something so horrifying, it tweaked your starved and meager conscience. Your barbs are not endearing yourself to me, Nadeni. Zaro gestured meaningfully to the door. One more, and I shall ask you to leave. 
but he didn't need to be able to read the man's emanol to know it was an empty threat. Tsaro had already deduced that Nadeni knew his dark secret, but hadn't yet discerned what this meant for him. The doctor wasn't leaving the room until he determined the nature of the danger Nadeni represented. Forgive me, because you did follow your conscience when it mattered most, and that's why I'm here. The first was a half-truth at best. Tsaro could have gone public with the atrocities, at a time when the Desbida crisis was still in flux and the regime hadn't solidified its total control over a terpy, the public outcry would have torn it all down. But Nadeni needed Zaro's cooperation, the way a dying man needed water, so he ground his jaw and appealed to the man's vanity. Again, I know not to what you refer. Cast your mind back to 4837. Thousands of young people we would come to label Desbida have begun to exhibit a variety of abnormal behaviors. Research links these abnormalities to gene therapy, administered to wide swaths of children, beginning 17 years earlier. Obviously, not all who received the therapy developed such symptoms, but for those who did, behavioral issues were the least of the problems caused by the genetic manipulation. One day, a breathless report reaches your desk, or more likely is delivered by a breathless researcher in person. The Desbida's emanols have been supercharged, no longer limited to interacting with Odala and chosen Hatua Odala. They can read any person, anywhere, and not just vague senses of emotions, moods, or inclinations. They can read thoughts. Sorrow's body stiffened. I would interject that this is a lie, but you've never been a liar. An insufferable truth-teller, in fact. How do you know? I'll get to it in a bit. So you confirm this shocking finding, then report it to the project director. At this point, you're probably jubilant. The gene therapy program has succeeded beyond your wildest dreams. It has kick-started an evolutionary leap in our people. Imagine the possibilities. But it isn't long before the order comes down from on high. This emergent ability must be suppressed. Develop treatments to tamp down the Desbida's hyperactive emanols by any means necessary. You're disappointed. Maybe you argue with a few government officials or mysterious corporate executives who've been granted outsized influence over the project. You get nowhere, and the order is delivered more sternly. Since you value your position, you comply, but in your heart, bitterness takes root. The new treatments are a disaster. Not only do they fail at their primary purpose of suppressing the Desbida's immunol abilities, they also cause a plethora of negative side effects. Blindness, muteness, physical deformities, cancers, sometimes a descent into insanity. Patients commit suicide in droves. You want to stop the treatment trials, but the higher-ups insist you continue, no matter the cost, they say. Then the news starts reporting on how the Desbida are a danger to themselves and others. How many turn violent even against their own Odalas? You know any such behaviors aren't due to their Desbida nature, but instead a reaction to experimental therapies. Maybe you push back, privately, and are told that the Desbida do in fact represent a threat to others, to society as a whole. Until they can be cured, they must be segregated from society but the reasons are too nuanced and complex to be explained to the general public, so a simpler story is required. A lie. Tell me, have I gotten this right so far? Tsaro stared at him silently. Close enough, then. Now, maybe you felt a rousing empathy for your patients and wanted to protect them. 
Or maybe you were morally offended at the wreckage the government was making of your valuable scientific research, regardless of the reason you threatened to go public with the truth. Luckily for you, Bihar Cartian knew you too well, and he recognized that you could be more easily dealt with via a bribe than a hit squad. He expressed regret and sorrow over how matters had turned out and offered you all this. Nadeni gestured toward the window and the grounds beyond, in exchange for you quietly stepping away from the Aterpi project and never speaking of its secrets, and you took the deal. Tsaro snorted derisively. <laughs> what is it you want, Nadeni? Extortion money? Have you burned through your family's entire fortune and need to take mine now? Living as a ghost has proved somewhat expensive, especially given my chosen hobby, but no. I'm going public with all of this sorrow. In a way, the government and the regime will not be able to suppress. I'm here to give you the chance, one chance, to be on the right side of this story, to see your research vindicated and your principles win out, to be a hero to the Desbida you abandoned to torture. The man dropped hard into a chair. Yotta Razi. Nadeni forced an appearance of ease into his expression. Zaro could bolt from the room and report his resurrection and job title to the authorities, but how much would it change? Sorry, did I forget to mention that part? You did, and just not Tarazi, their leader, or at least their financial benefactor. You know much of this, because you have under your protection Desbida over there, in the labs in those early days. The rest I assume you've deduced. I never doubted your intellect. Merely your prudish judgment. I'll take that as a compliment. It wasn't intended as such. They will kill you, Nadani. They will kill you and everyone you hold dear. They will take the Desbida you shelter from you and they won't even transfer them to the therapeutics camps. They'll simply execute them, lest they try to foment revolution from inside the camps. We've managed to avoid such a fate so far. Barely, I imagine. You try to go public and they will spare no resource to track you down and smashing you like a beko bug. This is why I want you on my side. And Danny worked to keep the desperation he felt out of his voice. You bring evidence to our fight, irrefutable proof of their crimes. All the more reason for it to be stamped out. I would be mad to join your cause, as I will be the first one they kill. Not if we expose the conspiracy, the public. The media and the law will come down on them. The worm will turn. Not fast enough. I'll protect you. I've protected thousands for eight years now. Ha! Zaro stood and strode to the windows. Give up all this splendor to sleep in a bunk in some overcrowded, grimy fortress and eat prefabbed Russian food? <laughs> I think not. Our home is rather nicer than you assume. You'll be quite comfortable, but that's beside the point. This is all coming crashing down, whether you wish it or not. We are going public. You will be named for your involvement in the original experiments and the treatment research. The ravenous hounds will swarm at your door, and that will only be the start. There's no escaping it now. I'm giving you a chance to get in front of this and craft matters more to your liking. A chance to be the hero of this story. Taro's eyes cut over to him a speculative glint lighting them, and Adeni thought he'd snared the man now. An overabundance of vanity had always been the key. 
What role do you imagine I will play in your mad scheme? Ready for distribution, all the incriminating files you secretly made copies of before Cartier ordered you to erase them. Construct a story around them that persuades and scintillates, the way you've done for all your scientific breakthroughs. I don't care if you play up your role or embellish either your moral outrage or the extent to which you feared for your life. You do as you are wont to do. So long as the building core of your story shows the world that the Desbido were victims here. Victims of a corrupt, power-hungry government corporate cabal who were terrified the Desbido could destroy them. Our story, your story, will expose the crimes of this cabal and the shining light of the Despida in equal measure. I'm not a playwright, Nedeni. I'm a scientist, and science is not always romantic. Then simply hand over your files and swear under oath to their authenticity, and we'll do the rest. I merely wanted to give you the opportunity to be the star. Hmm, you make a good point. The world won't understand much of what is in those files, not without someone knowledgeable to explain it to them. But why should I believe you can protect me? Because I've protected hundreds of Desbida and thousands of individuals who believe in their right to live free. Because the government has hunted us for years and has never found us. Which would you prefer? He gestured to the windows and the beaches below. A clear shot for the Cowdy sniper? Or a fortress and trained fighters ensconcing you? You want me to come with you then? Right now? We will be moving very soon, in a matter of days. There might not be another opportunity for you to seek refuge before then. Go to your office and gather your files, and we will depart together, as if for a seaside lunch meeting. Taro stared down at the table. To walk away from all of this. If we succeed, it will all be waiting for you upon your triumphant return. Please, Taro, come with me, and let's change the world. For the better this time. The man nodded slowly in acceptance. Your office, then? Sorrow reached into his pocket and removed a case holding a tiny data storage plate. For the last seven years, I've never let these files out of my sight. Chapter 25 Nadeni emerged from the docks, accompanied by an older man in an expensively tailored business suit. The man's eyes flickered over every corner of the atrium, taking in its design, decor, and occupants with an air of disdain. Nadeni whisked the man away to Matan's lab without stopping to talk to anyone. I guess that's Dr. Millar. Deshka made a face at the closing door behind them. One can assume. He looked friendly. To say the least. It doesn't matter if he's an asshole. The important thing is Nadeni convinced him to help us. Or forced him at gunpoint. Galian didn't doubt for a minute that, if it were required, Nadeni would have done exactly so. The doctor didn't act happy to be here for certain, but he is not the first or thousandth person here to be ripped away from the life they'd built in order to hide from powerful forces that will kill them on sight. And, unlike everyone else, his inconvenience should be rather temporary. Deshka's imanal radiated a rare edginess. So, we're really gonna do this then? Go public and expose the Aterpi project? Call out the government and irregime leaders who have fueled its barbarous acts? 
Nadeni re-emerged from the lab alone and began crossing the atrium in the direction of administration. As he did, his gaze passed across, then landed on Galian and Deshka. His chin dipped to the side, toward his office. Let's go find out. The operation will consist of three independent missions. The most critical phase requiring most of our forces will involve boarding Inaska 2 and taking over the studio of Beleria First News. Only from the space station can we reach the entire planet simultaneously, which is of course why all the major news corporations have studios there. Once we're in control of Beleria's first facilities, we'll broadcast a pre-prepared message and the world will finally learn the truth. Are we going to shoot our way into the station? Freeman asked. Nadeni shook his head firmly. No, a team will take one of the transport ships and dock at Anaska 2, using their pre-existing false identities. However, they will need to be prepared to shoot their way into the studio or possibly the broadcast booth itself. Freeman nodded. I assume there would be shooting at some point. Do try to keep it to a minimum. The CEO of Beleria First News may well be a member of the E-Regime, but the employees working at the studio are innocent bystanders. The judicious use of temporary restraints on them will go a long way. At the same time as the team is infiltrating the studio, a number of couriers will be delivering packages to these government and corporate officials. A list of names and affiliations displayed on a Denny screen, some recognizable to everyone, others more obscure. The list went on for some length, and Galian felt definable stirrings of excitement. No way could the authorities suppress information from so many disparate sources. The number of deliveries is going to strain our vehicle resources, so as soon as the first packages are ready, we will begin sending people out in waves. The earliest departees will need to linger near their target until the appointed time arrives. These delivery missions should not be especially dangerous, as the packages will be labeled as ordinary correspondence originating from sources known to the recipients. What's the third mission? Deshka asked. It will be mine alone. Nadeni replied, the Irregime has no head, only limbs, but the government does. I am going to deliver my own package directly into President Lormain's hands. I will make certain he watches our broadcast. Then I'm going to offer him a way forward. You're planning to make a deal with him? Galian exclaimed. After all our hard work, after everything we've endured at the hands of his police, I am planning to ensure that all of you have a future. But you can't let him off so cleanly. I won't. But a cornered rat will tear its attackers apart with its claws, even when there is no hope of escape or survival. Lormain needs to believe there is a path by which our society can be brought back from the brink of madness, violence, and death. If he shows reason, we will work together. If he does not, the government will find itself in need of a new president, and perhaps they will show reason. Galian sank back in his chair, forcing his instinctual rage to simmer down. He'd prefer to see Lormain swing from the rafters, but as usual, Nadeni saw the bigger picture. Their highest purpose was to free the Desbita still suffering in the camps and bloodlust to bow in submission to its goal. Nadeni gestured to Marley. I may require your assistance if you are willing. Galian sat up in interest. He wondered why Nadeni had asked for her to attend the meeting. You need me to deliver you to President Lormain's office and, if he doesn't take your deal, get you back out in a hurry. Not a problem. I can get myself in front of the president, but I concede I might require your assistance to depart, should the conversation not fall in my favor. Therefore, I want you to be on standby. 
I can do that, but I was kind of hoping to participate in the Anarska II phase of the operation. No, the presence of an alien in a public space risks sparking confusion and the kind of chaos we don't want. And what if I didn't look like an alien? Nadeni scoffed. <laughs> I've seen the disguise you and Resumane generated. It's possible from a distance, but there is no from a distance on a space station. I know. I actually had something else in mind. I said no. The issue is closed. Marley opened her mouth to retort again, and Galian set a hand on her thigh to ward it off. She shot him an odd glance, but clamped her mouth shut and settled back into her seat. Nadeni pivoted back to the briefing. The Anoska II mission is far and away the most complicated part of this plan. We need to get our people onto the station with weapons. Matin says he can fab a shielding material that will allow our weapons to pass undetected through a security scan, but it's never been tested. We also need to gain entry to the internal offices of Balaria First News, all the way to their broadcast booth, again with as little bloodshed as possible. This goal will be greatly aided if we can prevent the employees from alerting security. Galian had been about to suggest they portal directly into the studio, thus bypassing security altogether. But with his last statement, Nadeni gave voice to why this was a bad idea. A portal would attract the immediate attention of every security officer on the station, and they would find themselves mired in a firefight from the start. But if instead they could evade detection until the message broadcast was well underway, they might actually survive until its completion. We must maintain control of the broadcast long enough to send out our message in its entirety. Nadeni continued, The message will be clear, direct and forceful, but it will not be short. Once it has transmitted, we need to get our people out safely. I hope in the days and weeks to come we will no longer need to hide, but that time will not arrive in the first hour after the broadcast. Marley leaned forward. I can also... I realize you can. In theory, the timing of the various elements will coincide such that you can evacuate the team from the studio. It'll be easier if I'm already on the station. Marley, I said no. Do not challenge me again. Marley's body language was so expressive Galian had to suppress a laugh. Once he'd started to pay attention to it, started to understand it, with Ressa's help, he'd come to appreciate the endless variety of ways in which all her parts moved and morphed. It wasn't an even-all, but at times like this, her mannerisms told the story of her emotions well enough. An additional complication is this. As soon as we hijack the Beleria first broadcast, the military will presumably launch electronic warfare craft to jam the signal. Now, we have three combat-capable aircraft and they will be in place near Inaska too. but the military will send far more than three EW craft. Matin is working on software countermeasures to evade the jamming, but if they deploy full-spectrum suppression, we cannot get around it. I am, frankly, open to suggestions on alternative ways to solve this problem. An uncomfortable silence descended upon the room. Five seconds ticked by. Marley raised her hand in the air. Human, I do not care to repeat myself repetitively. This isn't about me being on the station. I can maybe help with the jammers. Possibly. Nadeni leaned forward in interest. How do you intend to do that? I don't want to overpromise right now, but Mata finished testing his Cabinot quantum diffuser shortly before this meeting started, and now I'm wondering if the guy ever sleeps. Anyway, I think this is an excellent opportunity to test it out. Safely, of course. She shot Galian a little smile. Care to go for a ride with me? 
Chapter 26 Marley listened with half an ear as Galian worried over the details of the operation. She tried repeatedly to give him her full attention, but nervousness and second-guessing kept drawing her back to what she was about to do for so many reasons. She ought to contact Miriam instead, respect the chain of command the way a proper official of Concord should do. But her aunt was almost certainly doing everything in her power to avoid kicking off a war with the Belliscosians. A war Concord would win handily, but the organization wasn't in the habit of shooting the aliens it met into submission. An authorized military action, if it were discovered, risked doing exactly this. Also, while Miriam respected Marley's analysis of diplomatic situations, she wasn't apt to throw all in with the Tarazi based solely on Marley's word. Morgan Leckis, on the other hand, would do it for shits and giggles. Chain of command be damned. The woman had always played fast and loose with the rules. This was now her third time climbing up the military ranks, because she was also too damn skilled at combat piloting to be kept on the sidelines. But this was the other reason to be nervous. She hadn't seen Morgan in eight months, and was startled by how she knew instantly how long it had been, almost down to the day. She went about her life not thinking about Morgan, but apparently the same couldn't be said about her subconscious. True enough. In that case, thanks for not blabbering on about her all the time. I do actually try to protect you when I can. I know you do. What do you think? She hurriedly had her EVI replay the last thing Galian had said. Nadeni's from a wealthy, well-connected family, right? If anyone can peacefully get the president's attention, he can. You're right. Galian peered out the window. This should be far enough. He brought the vehicle to a stop in the midst of a vast plain leading to stair-step plateaus in the distance, and they climbed out. He left the driver's side door open and rested against the front of the vehicle. Moment of truth, yes? We're not going to run as well? I know how you hate it, which is why I drove for such a distance. If your wormhole is detected, we can be on our way in seconds and use the vehicle's stealth capabilities to elude any pursuers. Thank you. And it's not that I hate it, it's just... <sighs> her cheeks flushed at the notion of explaining to him why it made her so uncomfortable. It's not something humans do in normal, non-intimate situations. He stared at her for a moment, his sensors twitching erratically. Oh, forgive me for causing you discomfort. No, it was crucial for our missions. I totally get that. And if we need to run again in the future for the same reason, I'll happily do so. The problem is with me, not you. His chin dipped in concession. Even so, I never anticipated the many ways in which the differences in our cultures would clash and clang. Least of all, intimate ways. She chewed on her bottom lip. Ugh. Hey, how about we go ahead and do this thing? He reached into his pocket and withdrew the small device Matin had crafted to hold his diffuser, then depressed a small button. It is yours to perform. Yes, it was. She removed the blocking software in her EVI and sent a message. Morgan, hi. I hope you're not too busy this instant. As I need to meet with you in person for a quick second, it's important, or I wouldn't ask. She waited wound her fingers together, popped her knuckles, yanked her hands down to her sides, shot Galian a confident smile. Marley, this is a surprise. Let me duck out of this insufferable meeting. Phew. And now she was somehow more nervous, which was just absurd. 
Any awkwardness between them was ancient history. They were both adults and professionals. Okay, I'm free. Thank you for that, by the way. Huh? Getting me out of the meeting before I fried the speaker with my mind and lost my commission. Again. Oh, no problem. She pulled down the location information Morgan broadcasted and opened a wormhole to the Presidio. The woman spun at the spatial disruption. Should I come over or... Yes, please, if you don't mind. Not at all. Morgan sauntered into the opening and stepped onto the soil of Bellaria. As soon as she was through, Marley closed the wormhole. No reason to tempt fate by allowing it to continue agitating the quantum space. The woman had grown her chestnut hair out a bit until it brushed her shoulders, though it still hung razor straight to half-obscure one glittering iris. She wore Aegis Navy BDUs, likely under protest, and a casual swagger that belied her elevated rank. Morgan glanced around. So, this is Bellaria. Her attention settled over Marley's shoulder. And this is a Belliscosian. What? Oh, yes. She turned and gestured to Galian. This is Galian Oziel, my friend. Galian, this is Morgan Lekas, also my friend. How interesting. It's a pleasure to meet you, Galian Oziel. Have you been keeping Marley out of trouble? Morgan used a translator, but it perfectly recreated her voice and speaking style. Assuredly not. My honor to meet you as well. Hmm, no one ever succeeds in keeping her out of trouble for long, so don't feel too bad. Marley jumped in before their interchange reached mortification levels. I'd love for you two to get to know each other, but we can't linger. Morgan, I have a huge, tremendous favor to ask. Before I do, know that you should absolutely say no. And when you do, I'll understand, and my feelings won't be hurt. Not that she expected Morgan to care about such things. Sounds intriguing. Miriam told me a little bit about what you've gotten mixed up in here. She didn't volunteer it. But when I was tasked with drawing up battle plans for a potential hostile encounter with the Belliscosians, I used my renowned skills of persuasion to squeeze a few details out of her. God, she'd missed Morgan. I wish I could have been witness to that discussion. Oh, it went about how all our conversations go. So, what are you really up to here? Fomenting revolution? No, 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 not at all. Marley grimaced. I might be a betting one, though. Uh-huh, sounds about right. So, framed for murder and now abetting some revolutionaries who want to upend an oppressive government. Ha, <laughs> how can I help? Don't commit until you've heard the ask. Morgan spread her arms wide, one eyebrow raised. And the ask is? The Tarazi, the revolutionaries? intend to take over a transmission station on the Anarska 2 space station so they can broadcast to the world their evidence of the crimes the government and the e-regime, a corporatist shadow government, have committed against a segment of the population known as Desbida. But as soon as they start broadcasting, they expect the military, well, they expect the military to do a lot of things, but one thing in particular they expect them to do is send a squad of electronic warfare craft to jam the signal. If they do, the mission fails and they won't get another chance. This mission is everything to the Tarazi. It's what they've been working toward for years. It's make or break, all or nothing, etc., etc. So I thought you might be willing to quietly send a specialty craft or two over here to jam the government's jamming. Morgan studied her, and she forced herself not to flinch away from the intensity of the woman's bright amethyst Prevo eyes. And you believe in the rightness of this cause, I'm assuming? I do. Don't tell Miriam. 
but I could have come home a week ago. Instead, I chose to stay and help the Tarazi win the Desbitas' freedom. Something that resembled respect or possibly amused dismay flitted across Morgan's expression. Her gaze darted to Galian, then back to Marley. I need the frequencies they'll target and whatever details are available on the tech the EW craft will use for the jamming. Granted, not need as such, but it will make things easier. We can get you those details, Galian said matter-of-factly. Fantastic. In that case, a couple of ghosts could do it with no problem. And without being detected. Probably. I understand the Beliscosians have some quirky quantum detection capabilities. In theory, nothing can detect a ghost at greater than 100 meters. But the theory hasn't been tested against Beliscosian tech. Galian stepped in again. It's conceivable they'll be able to detect that something is in the area if the quantum fluctuations are strong enough, but they won't be able to determine what. That's better. And they're going to know they're being jammed either way. So long as they can't see us, it should be kosher. Morgan rubbed at her temple. In the aftermath, any chance these Tarazis can claim they developed some secret jamming technology? It would be great if the Beliscosian government believes it was homegrown. We have no qualms about lying on that point. Whether we are believed, hopefully it won't matter, as those who will argue otherwise will find themselves locked behind prison walls. Ambitious revolutionaries, then. Morgan returned her attention to Marley, this time sternly and not in the slightest bit amused. If we are discovered, it will kick off a war. Miriam deeply, fervently, does not want this to occur. We're all about making new allies and working together to advance to ever greater heights and all that bullshit, so we can maybe stand a snowball's chance in hell whenever, well, you know. She did. Which is why I started off saying you should refuse my request. I don't want a war. And if this were to come back on you and hurt your career, I would never forgive myself. Eh, it wouldn't be the first time I've had to start over from scratch. I'm not worried about me. I just had to give voice to the risks involved. Morgan sighed. <sighs> We're in, quiet as mice. We jam for a minute or two. Five or ten, Galian interjected. Morgan huffed a laugh. <laughs> we jam for five or ten minutes while dancing around to evade detection, and we're out. No one ever knows we were there. I can make it work. Are you saying you'll do it? Marley asked. I definitely shouldn't. But I appreciate a good revolution, having once been an architect of one in my own way, and it's important to you, so <laughs> why the hell not? Later, Marley was going to spend hours noodling over the possibility that something being important to her held some sway over Morgan, but she couldn't afford to gush now. So she beamed instead. Thank you. Thank you so much. This means everything to me, to the Tarazi. Mm-hmm. Shoot the details of this operation to me as soon as you can. I'll need a few hours to requisition a ghost team and some pilots. Marley glanced over her shoulder at Galian. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Got it. Oh, hang on, one. Be right back. Morgan opened a wormhole with a flick of the Kalis prism on her belt and walked through it to Concord Special Projects. She disappeared off to the left and was gone for around 12 seconds, then returned to Balerian soil. She offered a small bag to Marley. From Devon, he picked up in the Noesis that I was with you, because he's a sneaky, meddling SOB, and asked me to deliver this. Said you asked for some things in your last communication. I did. It works? Marley shrugged. 
You should have a message from him rambling on about how only his genius enabled it to be crafted and, and talking you through how to use it. Wonderful. Thank you again. Morgan bestowed a beguiling smile on Marley. After this whole revolutionizing gig is over and done and you finally consent to come home, give me a calm. We should have lunch. And you can tell me about... Morgan's eyes flickered to Galian. Your adventures here. Marley worked to keep her voice casual. I look forward to it. Then I'll let you get back to planning your mission. Galian Oziel, good luck in your revolution and in trying to keep up with her. Your blessings and your assistance are appreciated. Morgan reopened a wormhole and, with an amused twitch of her lips, walked through it and closed it behind her. Galian's eyes went to the sky. Still no incoming. I'm inclined to believe Matan's device works. Her whole body relaxed in relief at the news. She could talk to her people again without having to climb out of the murky depths of Lake Lassay and drive for an hour, then elude Caldi squads. It felt as though a significant piece of her life had been handed back to her. Caleb's advice about not letting technology define her murmured in the recesses of her mind, but she'd worry about healthy priorities when she was warm and cozy in front of a fire in her apartment on Seneca. This is great news. Yes, we've operated under significant restrictions for so long before the Tarazi even had a name. The greater freedom this gives us comes at a most opportune time, and for you as well. True, she climbed into the comp craft, feeling all warm and fuzzy inside from seeing Morgan. Not that the relationship was ever going to amount to anything more than a casual friendship. She'd accepted this long ago. But it was so good to see another human again, and one she enjoyed the company of, to boot. Galian started the ignition, and they set off on a roundabout course for the Serba, as they still needed to be cautious. Thank you for taking me out here. It was not a burden. Also, not necessary, I suspect. I assume you've determined how to drive our vehicles. I think so, the basics anyway, but I don't mind the company. Oh? His browless forehead compressed. Good. Neither do I. But now I am wondering, are all humans female? No, not at all. Forgive me. You've spoken of your aunt, and now I've met this Morgan Leckis, and of course you. It's a small sample size, but enough for me to ask. I know you, Marley, but your species remains a mystery to me. And I hope one day soon this will change. But for now, you can take my word that there are many, many male humans. More or less, 50%, in fact. Ah, at least this one thing is not so strange about your people. His fingers touched the steering mechanism and they arced a touch to the north. May I ask you something else? Something personal? Um, sure. The woman, Morgan. She is your lover, yes? Why would you think that? I do not need to be able to sense human emanols to know when there are pheromones in the air. Oh, God. She stared at her hands in her lap to hide the heat on her cheeks. No, I mean, we sort of almost... But no, she's not. Perhaps she should be. Ha, huh, that's not up to me. I see. In that case, my apologies. His sensors twitched. He was emoting so hard she swore she could almost feel his emanol in the air, though not what sentiments it conveyed. I confess, I did not realize you were Zafikoa. Is it common in human society? The word was a rather colorful term for lesbian. Common? 
I mean, most people aren't. Some people are. Also, I'm not Zephikoa, that is. And now I confess to being confused, but I am sure there is much I don't understand about human sexuality. How could you? She blew out a breath and gazed out the window. They were far off the reservation now, and she didn't mean the drive. I guess the term for what I am is pansexual. I'm capable of being physically attracted to someone irrespective of their gender or, within some bounds of reasonableness, their species. Oh my. Yeah, that's what my mother said, too. She doesn't approve. It's pretty far down the list of things about my life she doesn't approve of. I guess she's come to be okay with it. Probably doesn't love it, though. So, if I can ask, merely out of curiosity and because we have a long drive ahead of us to fill, what does some bounds of reasonableness mean? She studied him uncertainly, but he wasn't teasing her, nor did he appear offended. Genuinely curious, maybe, and something else running a layer beneath it. Um, humanoid, more or less, but it's more nuanced than that. The Orin Kelly, for instance, have this gelatinous, semi-transparent skin, and they're always altering the shape of their bodies, including adding and subtracting limbs. Sometimes they look like octopi, which does nothing whatsoever for me. Then there's the cocta. They qualify as humanoid, but they have four eyes and these ridiculously long snouts with a whole bunch of teeth, and I just can't bring myself to find them sexy. I mean, some of my close friends are cocta, but it's platonic all the way. Also, they're huge and would crush me in bed. She laughed lightly, and he joined her. But for the species that are closer to the human norm, it's... She sighed. <sighs> I see beauty, where beauty is there to be seen. When I'm in the company of an alien I find attractive, my body and my pheromones respond the same as if I were admiring a strapping, muscular lifeguard with a great tan. A what? Never mind. Galian was silent for a long moment. When he did speak, his voice was quiet. And... Do Beliscosians fall within some bounds of reasonableness? She stared at him, mouth agape. Words utterly failed her, but the tingling sensation spreading to indecent places did not. He drew in on himself, hair strands lying flat against his skull as he discovered a sudden intense interest in the dash. That was in no way an appropriate question. Please accept my apologies. Her expression must have frightened him, and she worked to soften it. Yes, they do. His head whipped back to her. I see. She gave him a blasé smile and shrugged. He breathed out and appeared to relax a little. The tail isn't too much. The tail raises some interesting possibilities. Oh, this was definitely more than she'd intended to share. I only mean, no, it isn't too much. Good to know. With that declaration, he refocused on the road, leaving her to sit there sifting through all sorts of conflicting emotions she hadn't expected to need to address. This was Morgan's fault. Seeing the woman had lit up the prurient areas of her brain, as it always did. And when Morgan had departed, those areas had promptly leapt for the next attractive person in the vicinity. But Galian wasn't like her, and she had no right to expect him to be. Even back home, most people weren't attracted to other species and she wasn't merely of a different species, she was alien to him. He had no frame of reference for sexual attraction to someone not of his kind. How could he? He was being polite, or indulging in a bit of morbid curiosity. Nothing more. So she occupied herself with the horizon, counting down the seconds until they reached the Serba.
Full dark had fallen by the time they arrived at Lake Lassay, or what passed for it on Bellaria. As Galien slowed the vehicle to prepare for the transition to watercraft, Marley realized this might be the last time she'd get to see the night sky here. She reached out and touched Galien's arm. Hang on, let's take a minute before we go down. Oh? He stopped the vehicle. What do you have in mind? She opened the door and stepped out, motioning to him. Come on. The air was warm, with no hint of wind to carry a cool breeze off the lake. She plopped down on the hard ground of the steps near the shore and leaned back on her hands to look up at the explosively star-strewn sky. Most planets don't have views like this, you know. I did not know. He settled onto the dirt beside her and tilted his head to match her perspective. What do the heavens of other worlds look like? Fewer stars, for one thing, and they tend to be more orderly. This is chaos. For us, it simply is and always has been. Sure. She eased the rest of the way down until she was stretched out on the ground and sighed contentedly. Here's the thing. All this, she waved her hand in the air, it's nothing but your own double galaxy. The Medusa merger, and especially the eye, is so glutted with activity it overwhelms the light from the billions of galaxies and trillions of stars on the other side. Everything you see, it's all right here, but there's so much else beyond it. He gazed at her a little oddly, then lay down beside her, snugly enough beside her, for her to notice. So, you can't see your home from here? Goodness, no. It's 40 megaparsecs away, so it would be a challenge to spot under ideal conditions, and we can't see yours from Seneca, thanks to that blazing eye of yours. She frowned as a realization occurred to her. You know, it's dangerous for you to live here. Underwater? In the Cerber? We've taken gargantuan steps to increase its safety. She punched him softly on the shoulder. Stop pretending to be dense. I mean, Valeria. The collision has rendered your galaxy enormously active. The threat of asteroid and comet impacts has to be much higher here than it is for most planets where life has arisen. What do you think Lake Lissay is? Hmm? You mean it formed in an impact crater? Indeed. And this isn't even the largest crater on the planet. We are aware of the threat, which is why we deployed an advanced close-approach tracking system as soon as our technology enabled us to do so. Good. How elitist of her to assume them backward in this respect. She shifted positions to dislodge a tiny rock at her back, and her hand brushed across Galeon's. He didn't snatch it away, instead letting his fingers gently caress her palm. She breathed in deeply, savoring the moment and his touch. Still, I fear you all will need to move one day. This isn't a proper, organized galaxy. Stellar systems and their planets are careening wildly all around out there, and sooner or later, one is going to barrel into your path and disrupt Valeria's orbit. Yes. His hand settled in to rest comfortably atop hers. Astronomers tell us the Jusain system is headed directly our way. It will begin to exert detrimental effects on the planet in around 800,000 years. He shifted his head to gaze at her, a faint smile teasing his lips. So, we have some time. And though their own time together was rapidly drawing to a close, they stayed there for as long as they could, gazing up at the stars of the Medusa merger, falling endlessly upon them. As we close today's captivating episode on Book TV, don't forget to check out Novel Nutrition. 
Tailored for book lovers, our supplements are designed to complement your reading lifestyle. Use code BOOKTV for a 20% discount on your first order at novelnutrition.co. Enhance your reading experience with Novel Nutrition and don't forget that every purchase helps support an author.